0: Happy Monday morning and welcome to the Daily Buzz. I'm Connor Sanders. More and more, social media has become a way for politicians to reach their constituents en masse, especially during the pandemic. But should lawmakers be able to block potential voters or citizens on social media? Politics reporter Bethany Rogers dug into the legalities of public officials' blocking habits and found that the rules aren't always very clear. Official campaign and personal accounts have different rules, and the line between free speech and harassment can also be pretty blurry. You can read the rest of Bethany's deep dive into the blocking on sltrib.com. Robert Gerke has been following House Bill 74, which would allow patients with a terminal illness to be prescribed medications to end their lives on their own terms. He spoke to a mother who is advocating for the death with dignity bill.
1: I'm joined now by Tammy Allred. Uh, We're going to discuss the death with dignity bill that's pending at the Utah legislature. Tammy's the mother of Kylie Kaplanis. And Tammy, why don't we start by telling us a little bit about your daughter?
2: So my daughter um, was 27 and about two years ago, she started having some health issues, mainly in her um, right foot. She was very active and after about a year and a half of going to doctor appointments and trying to figure out what was going on at that time, it had spread up into her leg where she was needing to use a cane and a walker to function. Um, we ended up taking her to the mail clinic during the pandemic and found out that she was um, terminally ill with ALS and the doctor had given her about three years to live. Once we got back from the mail clinic, it was about two weeks before she was in a wheelchair and had lost both of the functions of her, both of her legs. And at that time, she was just devastated that at her age, at 25, that she would be facing death.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about ALS for those who maybe haven't heard of it? I know it's commonly referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease.
2: ALS is, like you said, is um, Lou Gehrig's disease. And what happens is the neurons stop firing in the nerves, which cause the nerves to die, which causing the muscles to die also, which ends up causing the body to lose the function of the whole body. Towards the end with Kylie, we were having to dress her and feed her. I would have to go in probably over a hundred times a day and reposition her to get her comfortable and help her move because she no longer had the ability to move.
1: And so so Kylie, a a young woman, was facing a, a, a terminal illness. Um, that was advancing and her condition was deteriorating. Um, Tell us a little bit about how she made her wishes known about how she wanted this to transpire.
2: It's really sad that there is not any treatment for ALS. Kylie had so much anxiety and worry about when it progressed to the point where it affected her ability to eat or to use her hands or her arms And we started having conversations about her huge belief in death with dignity. And I didn't know much about it at the time. And she would sit me down and would tell me over and over, Mom, this is what we need to do. This is what I want to do. We were constantly trying to keep up with her pain management and her discomfort on top of her fear of her losing her life and not being able to choose something different than just sitting there knowing that was happening to her and not being able to do anything about it.
1: So as I understand it, Kylie passed away last month from, from her illness uh, and I have uh, condolences for your loss. Um, Thank you. As I understand it now, you've kind of turned that into uh, advocating for a piece of legislation pending at the Utah legislature that would allow physicians to prescribe life-ending medications similar to what has been adopted in some other states.
2: My last words to my daughter before she passed is, I was going to fight in her honor to try to get this bill passed here, and I wouldn't stop until I got some kind of result out of that to give them that dignity.
1: And what would be your message to legislators who are considering this or, or maybe any listeners who are are curious about this?
2: That somebody with a terminal illness where there is no treatments, no drugs, no light at the end of that tunnel, they are just sentenced to death should be able to have a choice of not having to go down that road completely to bring them some kind of comfort, even if they don't choose it.
1: Well, thank you for sharing your story with us, Tammy. Uh, We'll watch that bill as it advances through an upcoming
0: committee hearing. And uh, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you so much for your time.
0: To combat the surge of COVID-19 hospitalizations in the state, members of the Utah National Guard have deployed to healthcare facilities to help. Southern Utah reporter Alistair Lee Bitsoy explains the Guard's mission.
3: As a Southern Utah reporter, I'm trying to get the voices of Southern Utah heard in the Salt Lake Tribune. And one of the stories I was covering this week for this Tribune was the deployment of the Utah National Guard coming down to St. George to fill a gap in the healthcare needs of the population here, specifically in the Intermountain healthcare setting and the Southern Utah Veterans Home, where there have historically been staff shortages. And with the pandemic, making matters more overburdened, the National Guard came to the region to fill those staffing needs. And 11 would be uh, stationed or deployed at the health center. And then six would be at the veterans home. Thursday, I was at the veterans home to see what the guardsmen were learning. And they were being taught basic certified nursing skills, uh, basic needs of how to address a person when they need their socks put on, or other bedside services, like how to walk a person who needs, a veteran who needs um, reliance to go to the bathroom or walk around with a walker in the facility, learning how to use and read each other's wrists to get pulse readings. And so those were some of the things that the guardsmen were learning at the veterans home on Thursday. Talking to one of the nurses yesterday, um, the instructor, she was saying, "Yeah, uh, any extra body that's here on the ground is helpful because it's an extra set of eyes, an extra set of arms." The situation is not, from my reporting, is not new. Like rural communities historically need um, healthcare providers, and especially during this time with Omicron, two weeks ago the area was hit um, very high. The guardsmen will be here until early April. One of the guardsmen that I talked to was Private First Class Bravo. He is from Hurricane or Hurricane, and he said it was just fitting for him to be
0: called to action to help his community. On Friday, Utah health officials reported a drop in daily COVID-19 cases, but pandemic related deaths still remain in the double digits. Hospitalizations were also down on Friday, but have remained higher than any time before the Omicron surge in January. And that's it for today. Be sure to subscribe to The Daily Buzz on your favorite podcast app. We'd also love to hear from you at The Daily Buzz. If you have some feedback about the, the podcast, give us an email at thedailybuzz@sltrib.com. at sltrib.com. Thanks to the Tribune Sage Miller for editing The Daily Buzz. And a big shout out to Salt Lake City's own The Pelicans for our music. Have a great week and be sure to tune back in tomorrow.